Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing David Edward. Now, this is a fascinating conversation because he's written a book claiming to have solved maybe one of the biggest mysteries of all time, where the lost city of Atlantis is. His book, you know, he, it just came out in the past year and it lays it all out. Here's where Atlantis was. Here's the exact location. Here's Plato explaining it. Here's everything. So this conversation, obviously we talk about exactly where Atlantis was, um, but we also talk a lot deeper to find that, you know, he wrote this book thinking, okay, I have such definitive proof of this that this is going to change everything. I know where it is, everything makes sense, and I've solved it. You know, we've spent hundreds of years trying to figure this out, many documentaries out there, Disney movies created, Bahamas resorts named after Atlantis, all these things. And uh, I figured it all out. And it wasn't even that hard. But what he's found now is it's an uphill climb because even though he's super confident that he has found Atlantis, there's a lot of people out there that don't want to believe it. Whether it's because of how it has been created all this time of this fantasy utopian world that now everyone looks at this as some you know, crazy made-up thing that never existed, or whether it's another more sinister idea that, you know, there's been so much money made off of this, you know, what Atlantis is, the resort, the documentaries that have been being made for the last 50 years that nobody truly wants to find it because then the mystery's gone and it's just a footnote in history and it's found and that's over with. Um... And so it's been an uphill climb for him to, to get this accepted. Now, me, of course, this podcast is, is never going to tell you what to think, and, and I am not going to, to tell you either on uh, on what you should think. I, I enjoyed speaking with David. I really do think that uh, what he says makes, makes some sense. I haven't had a chance to, to read the entirety of the book myself. Um, but I know that uh, you know what he talks about today. It makes sense. Um, whether it's it's factual, I will let you decide all of that. Um, but I, I just I appreciated kind of the the talk about the deeper level of things. You know, he is so confident that he has found Atlantis that it's almost not even a conversation on why that's the case and him proving that point. Of course, he talks about what he found, but this conversation deals much more with all of the battle he has had since his supposed discovery the battle that he's had with the with the scientific community national geographic saying that it's made up and and all this to just to to get any kind of traction in in any world other than and then fringe science and conspiracy theory side of things that's not how he sees it he sees it as this is this is factual this is accurate um so we're going to talk about that in the beginning of this conversation, we're going to talk about his other books, too. He is quite the author. He's written 
40 plus books at the time of this conversation. He started writing in 2021, and in just a few years, he wrote 40 books. I know we've talked to other authors, and that's quite the quite the feat because a lot of them take you know a year to write one, and he's written 40 in just a few years. So uh, this was this was filmed a, a few months ago. So I have no doubt that he's probably written 10 books since then. But uh, everything will be in the show notes on how to find that. But I think you're gonna enjoy this, whether you you believe him or whether you. You think it's inaccurate? I, I don't think that you're going to be able to to uh, disagree that this is a fascinating conversation. So without further ado, here is David Edward. I'm here today with David Edward. Mr. Edward, how are you? I'm doing good, sir. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it very much. If you would, just introduce yourself. Well, David Edward, I've written about 45 books. One of the books is on the location of the lost city of Atlantis, which I know we're going to talk a bit about. It's a pretty uh-huh. good book. Just uh-huh. launched a new YouTube channel last night at A History Of. Um, would really love people uh, checking that out. The first two videos up are about Atlantis, and uh, I'll be adding more. In fact, I'm working on one um, today, so it should be a good channel. Uh, let's see. I um I'm an old military guy, counterintelligence uh, from the 80s and 90s. I uh, did a lot of cool stuff we can talk about. Written about 45 books, I think I mentioned. Um, I have a, a doctorate in engineering, like three master's degrees. I've been president of a university. I own a geospace company. And I'm sitting here Saturday talking to you. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you really do too much. You just kind of chill and kick back, huh? Yeah, kind of chill. Yeah, just chill. <laughs> yeah, for, that, I mean, the, the crazy thing is 45 books. And, you know, I, I'm looking at you. You're not 110 years old. 45 books is a lot of books. I've heard you talk to other people. You've written these really quickly, too, right? I my, I published my first book in February of um, 2021. So a year and a half ago. And uh, look, I'm, I mean, I have I have, you know, we all struggle with our personalities. My personality is when I do something, I do it. And mm-hmm. the first book, Alamosa, it was a West, a, a supernatural Western and it, I'm told, isn't very good. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I could have quit or I could have done like, you know, put put my head down like the bulldog I am and said, I'm going to keep writing until someone says something good. It took 45 books, but they finally said something good. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I talked to a, a lot of authors, you know, some some at all different levels of, of popularity. And in, no matter what, normally the average person says it. You know, I got this one done really fast. It took me nine months or this one took me two years. So I can't yeah. imagine 45 books in that short of time. What's your writing process? How do you write that quickly? Yes. Well, so for writing, so for in his, I, I write about half um, history and half uh, historical fiction, but fiction, you know. And so for the fiction stuff, what I, I just have a, I, I have a very basic story idea. And then I'm, I've, I'm very regimented in my, in my routine. So I'll get up at six in the morning and I'll write till nine in the morning. And then I work cause you know, gotta eat, like to pay the rent and everything. Mm-hmm. And then at night before I go to bed, I'll read what I wrote in the morning and I'll make the little corrections, but then that seems to get my subconscious going. So by the time I wake up again, it, it's, I'm, I'm ready to go. And so those, those three hours of, of writing are very productive and I'll write um, between Two and six thousand words a day is kind of mm-hmm. my goal. Uh, now for the history stuff, it's completely different. I, I outline everything, and then I just start to work on the sections and, and fill it in. Because you know, for, when you when you're writing about real things, you know, you have to make sure that it's it there's continuity and that you're actually telling the truth and all of those things. So the outline helps me a lot with that. Yeah. Well, I think the the last part is is where you you write so much because 
most authors I talk to, they say they write 500 to 1,000 words a day. So it's the 6,000 words a day is how you're getting them done so quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I won I won the Grammarly Award for like the most words checked or something. It, it, it checked something like one and a half million words in like four months. Um, so I'm very, I'm very proud of that. I didn't get a plaque though. So uh, what are you going to do? <laughs> I wonder too, you, you said that you write um you know both fiction and nonfiction. there's a lot of different books but tell us a little bit about if somebody sees a david edward book what kind of things that they're getting themselves into yeah so my books are very um uh compact specific the big stories told in very personal small ways um so like this one panama red which is the series this is this is the big one it's about a hundred thousand copies have gone out um and then of the series of course more and uh you know the, the entire books take place over the course of a couple of days but they're part of a very big story so i like i always consider it like the movie predator um which is a big story right aliens coming to earth and commandos and all that but it's a very sm but it's told very 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 small and i like it because it's very intense uh very tight uh you know keeps you moving um and a lot happens in a, in a short period of time so are are a lot of them kind of part of that same series where you're dealing with the same characters throughout a bunch of books or is it new people in every book? I have a mixture. Um, so I have a uh, a paranormal. I, I call it Purgatory Oaths. It's a uh, um, a series where it's the same universe, but different character. Well, there's one recurring character, but you know, different stories, different characters every time. Mm -hmm. um, I have a series of sci fi books, which is the same characters throughout. And then I have the, the thriller series, which is the same characters so for the for the ones that make it you know not everyone makes it uh but uh yeah it's so so I, you know and, and then I've, i'm working on two books now i'm working on this the thriller series ended it was it was six books but i'm starting a new series with the same characters and then i have another book a western pure a regular pure western um that's all new characters so kind of a mix well, that's awesome and i know at least one of the books is kind of what we're going to talk about and that's about Atlantis. So what made you decide, because you, I mean, you write about so many different things. What made you decide this was a topic that you wanted to, to dive into? Cause it's definitely a big topic. Well, Atlantis, you know, I'm a nerd, right? I mean, uh, I put myself in the military because I was too much of a nerd. And I, I mean, I, I was so nerdy. I didn't even want to go to classes in college or anything. <laughs> I played video games and stuff, but I, I was, my, my nerddom always took me to kind of ancient history. That was the thing I was interested in. I'm not a big UFO you know, guy, that, that kind of stuff, contemporary history, modern conspiracies, that, that's not really my thing. I always like the old, the old history. Um, so, you know, uh, you mentioned I, I wasn't too ripe. I'm, I'm a little ripe. I'm a little bit of an old guy. So I, I grew up in the seventies the and eighties and it wasn't like today where there was just endless content. You know, now, if you want to go find something on Atlantis, you can spend eight hours flipping through YouTube, you know, watching uh, not all great, but not all bad, you know, content. Then it was a big deal if a documentary came out or if, you know, Jacques Cousteau went somewhere and was looking for something. So I consumed all of that. And I read the book, the, the first book that kind of really inspired me was The Chariots of the Gods by Eric Von Danigan, which was a very famous book. And there wasn't a lot of other stuff when it came out, you know, in, in that space. Um, so I, I read through all of that. And then by the time I hit high school, I was kind of done with that. So I want, but I still wanted, I'm still a nerd. So I started reading all the classical ancient Greek works because that's where all this stuff takes you, takes you back to Plato and Herodotus and Xenophon and all that stuff. So I'm very well read in that. Um, then about a year ago, a little, little more, maybe I was, I, I, we mentioned it's a recurring theme. I'm an old guy. So old guys can't sleep. You, you can sleep now, but it's in your future when, when, you know, it's, it's coming. It'll be, it'll be tough to sleep. Um, so I was flipping around YouTube 
And I, uh, YouTube handed me up a video on a channel called Bright Insight, and this guy, Jimmy Corsetti. And I guess in 2018, he had a, a series of viral videos where he thought he had found Atlantis. Um, and he's a smart guy. He and I have a, kind of the same background. He's not deep into the academics, but he was in the military too and stuff. And I thought he made a pretty good case. Um, he couldn't cl quite close the deal, though. There's a lot of criticism, and, and he doesn't really have the background to put put the nail in it that he actually did find it. I mean, he did, though. So I saw it, and then I saw kind of the, the, the backlash to his views. And I'm like, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to see if I can independently verify and, and bring more of a rigorous methodology to um, the outline that he had put together. And and I did that because I think this is important. I mean, if if I could go back to the seven-year-old me and tell him that we actually found Atlantis, uh, it would be a very excited seven-year-old me. So I think this is a big story and a big deal. And so I wanted to jump in. I decided to. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I always like to just break things down to the to the lowest level because I don't expect the listener to to know you know all these different things and so we don't always start right in the middle so i want to know just for somebody who says atlantis what the heck are we even talking about what is what is atlantis atlantis is a lot of things um uh from a um cultural standpoint it is the idea of a civilization in the past that was more advanced than cavemen dragging their wives around by their hair and eating dino grips um so that that's kind of that's that's the cultural piece that that's the societal piece um beneath that uh atlantis is um a fringe history that we can just see it, it's it's about 11 12 000 years old which is about as far back as our flashlights seem to go from a civilization standpoint so we we, we so it's tantalizing we can just see the edges of it um and some people don't want to shine they don't want to talk about stuff they can't get a whole picture of. So it's right at, it's right at the edge. It's right at the edge of legitimate science and archaeology and history and all that. And it's 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 the it's the debarkation line into the fringe imagine if kind of stuff. That's what Atlantis is. Gotcha. And why do you think, and you kind of touched on, you know, you even growing up, and it may be part of the answer, but why do you think people have been, I guess, so in the past so consumed or so obsessed with trying to figure this out and uh and i guess why why are we still talking about it you said it's twelve thousand years ago we still haven't necessarily found it i think you know and it's, it's interesting in today's world um we are all very hyper aware of the information that we get and the, over the past number of years we all have a little switch that is um super sensitive to if something doesn't smell right we're being told something we're like I, I, I don't, I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing something else. And while that's kind of new socially with Atlantis, that's been going on for a hundred years or a thousand years, which is there, there's a, there, there's a historical narrative that is that it's all, it's all baloney. Um, but then when you, anyone that starts to look into it, it's, it seems like there's something there. So, so it triggers that flag that we all have. But it's not political. It's not a dangerous thing to want to know about. And you can kind of dream and project into it. So it's a fun place to have that kind of conflict and do that kind of research as opposed to today's world where some of the things we all don't agree on is not the funnest place um, to hang out. Yeah, no, I, that that makes sense. And I, I feel like anytime anyone thinks of Atlantis, I don't know whether it's because of Disney or, or, or what, but it's always that there's this sunken underwater city that's you know, that's now somewhere under the ocean. I feel like I 
listen to you talk to somebody else. And that's not necessarily the case, correct? Jackson, I would never talk to anyone else but you. Just, well, I've just. heard you talk to other people. My <laughs> friend Rocky Degata, you talked to. Okay, all right. He caught me. <laughs> so look, Atlantis has been there's there's a huge problem with with this topic, which is the it's Atlantis has been beaten to death. Because it can be anything, and people have used it as anything to make other points for what for all kinds of reasons, probably every reason you can imagine, we've all kind of heard it described as everything. So the, the problem is, if something can be everything, can it ever just just be something? Can it ever just be anything? I always kind of say, I'm, I'm as I jumped into this, I had no idea what, what I would find, but I'm kind of like the Grinch who stole Christmas, which is... We're interested and we keep looking at Atlantis and it's like those Christmas presents under the tree and they're pretty wrapping paper and some of the boxes are pretty big and they got bows on it and we're staring at them and we're just dreaming about what's inside. It's going to be everything. It's everything we ever wanted that's inside of it. Then, of course, we open it on Christmas Day and it's tube socks and undershirts, which is great. We got to we got to wear socks and we need an undershirt and all of that. Um, but it wasn't as the the reality of it wasn't as exciting as what we what we dreamt about um, when we were thinking about. It. So Atlantis is kind of the same way. I tell people, I, I it's not UFOs or nuclear submarines or death ray power crystals. Uh, there's there there is there is no uh, like society that came out of it. There's no secret or anything. It's, it was just a place. It, it was just a place. Um, we we like to project the idea of advanced onto this place. Um, and everything, by the way, just to back up a little bit, everything I say comes from Plato, who Plato was a, a Greek philosopher. He, he wouldn't have seen himself as a philosopher, but he lived um, between like 450 and 320 or no, 340, something like that, B, BCE. And that's when he kind of wrote. Um, so when I, anything I assert, I'm asserting from him, that that's my, that's my foundation of, um, uh, whatever. But what he says the Atlanteans were good at, he says they were very good at agriculture. And we we'll, we can get into as much of this as you want. The time period we're talking about is like 9600 BCE, which is like 11,622 years ago, um, which is an amazing date. That's the date he gives us, but the, it's a very it's 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 almost a magical date because that's the the date of the end of the last ice age, what they call the Younger Dryas, and we know there were cataclysms and and stuff going on um, back then. Uh, but he tells us they were very good at agriculture and they were very good at organizing themselves. He liked how they had kind of put their governmental structure together. Um, so that's kind of what he wrote about in his two dialogues, Timius and Critias. Mm. Gotcha. So I, I just wonder too, you know, we, we just mentioned one thing. Well, first of all, I, I don't know that you necessarily said, is it, is it, is oh, it, sorry. was it under the ocean or was it not? <laughs> okay. So are you asking me where it is? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. So there is a structure in West Africa in a country called Mauritania called the Rishat structure. Stupid name. Um, I, I think it's a geological name. It's also called sometimes the eye of the Sahara. Um, the eye of the Sahara, it's, it's, it's a huge, it's, it's like, um, almost 10 or 12 miles across. And the first thing you notice when you look at it, if anyone has looked watching this, um, you can just type in Rishat, R-I-C-H-A-T, that just that one word into Google and then go to the images and you'll see hundreds of images of this thing. And the first thing you'll notice is it looks like Atlantis. So the one thing we all tend to know about Atlantis is there's a bunch of rings. There's, there's rings of land and water. That's like the classic look and when you look at this rishat structure it, it's exactly what it looks i mean it, it looks like it. it it meets that definition perfectly and it is in um i mentioned it right now it's in the western sahara desert 
which is um, not anywhere close to being under the ocean, right? I mean, the desert. But with this, this time period we're talking about, uh, 9600 BCE, the Western Sahara was actually what they call the Green Sahara. So it was very green and lush, and it was, it was a wonderful place to live. And when he started to put it all together, and we know there were people there, um, and they, this was during the Neolithic time. In fact, we're, we're hip deep in what they call the pre-pottery Neolithic. Um, and that all that means is um, we're in the new Stone Age. That's what Neo means, new lithic stone age but we're pre-pottery so kind of we're in that niche between and all pottery is by the way is we figured out if you cook dirt it holds its form right you, you cook mud um, but that's an invention so that's still in front of us but so we're in the pre-pottery neolithic we're in a, a lush green environment we know there are people there and you look at the geography it would have been in the middle of a lake um with about uh um, 10 miles on either side and then a river that flowed from this structure down to the ocean a very long river like 345 miles which is interesting because people say well i don't like that i want i want atlantis to be in the middle of the ocean or i want it to be somewhere this is where you start to dig into plato and we can get into the some of the specifics but he gives us all kinds of um markers and one of the most interesting markers he gives us is he's you know i read it sometimes let me, let me just i'll read it to you because it helps triangulate um the uh this location and but this is this is something in plato it's in uh the dialogue called critias that has been ignored by people looking for atlantis as far as i know for thousands of years because it's, a, it's an inconvenient thing here's what it says he says the country immediately about and surrounding the city was a level plain itself surrounded by mountains which descended towards the sea it was smooth and even and of an oblong shape extending in the one direction three thousand stadia so he's giving us the uh, he's explaining the land to us with the city as as the marker, and then we have a gently sloping plain of uh, three thousand stadia to the sea. Mm -hmm. All right, well, we can, let's unpack that. So first off, what's a stadia? <laughs> right, what does that mean? Um, it turns out, and this is the Alexandrian measure because that's the time period that Plato is writing in. A, a, a stadia is six hundred and seven feet. And this well-established, well-established fact. Okay, so if you multiply uh, 3,000 times 607, you get some big number. And then you divide it by 5,280, which is a mile, and you get 345. So then you go look at the Rishat structure, and you look at where the coast is, and you go to Google Earth, and anyone listening, I encourage you to do it. And you draw a line from the front of the Rishat structure to where the ocean is, and guess how far it is. How far do you think it is? 345 miles yeah, <laughs> so, gotcha. so it's, it's what he said and we, we have we have there's like 20 markers like that that kind of line this thing up um so when you start to look at what he said and then you start to look at the actual established history the green sahara all that stuff i talked about and you start to look at the, what they found of people in the place which clearly neolithic people lived here and then you start to realize well 10 12 000 years ago these people are just like us this isn't some um uh, you know, not evolved group of, group of apes or anything. These, these are people exactly like you and me, maybe a little shorter. Uh, it, it's the obvious place to live. I mean, mm. if you're walking around and you're looking at this thing, you'd be an idiot to walk by it. And then you, it, it is well protected. And you start to read what Plato wrote about their, their agricultural prowess and their, their ability to organize themselves. That's exactly what we're seeing. This time period, 9600 BCE, we're hip deep in what they call the Neolithic Renaissance or Neolithic Revolution. So this is where in 10,000 BCE, so it's 400 years before, we start to see agriculture and we start to see uh, the transition from hunter-gatherers and we start to see communities. We start to see all those things. So, so why wouldn't we see those things here in Africa, which is where we're told 
we all came from anyway. Why wouldn't that be one of the first places? So it all lines up is my point. And, and you know, it, and there's, there's tons of data points, but it just makes logical sense once you actually read what we know about it versus just listening to the speculation and what other people say about it. Yeah. And do you, I mean, do you think that having all of this speculation and all of this fantasy and, and all of the craziness that people have, have made it because they're trying to make it a, a more interesting, you know, magical thing has, has hurt actually being able to find the real thing, because I feel like with all of the, the fantasy around it, those who are trying to, to look for it, like you, people just think, oh, well, they, they're just, they're chasing, chasing rainbows. Yeah. I mean, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, right? Respect. It, the, the, historically, Atlantis, the story of the history has lost the respect of both what we would call the academic community and fringe researchers like me. I'm a fringe. I mean, that's what I am. I, I look for inconsistencies. And because people don't, because people have historically haven't respected it, they've abused it, which is what you're saying. And because they've abused it so much, none, all of us, we think whatever we hear is just an anecdote and it, it's not conclusive. Um, we're just used to that in this space because because the setup, look, the set, the classic setup of those shows I I started watching in the 70s and still to today, any, any you go watch any show on this, any documentary, the setup's going to be the first half. They kind of they, they fill you through the history. They convince you they know what's going on. They show you the beautiful pictures of all the islands and, and the Greek, you know, the water and, and, and good looking people scuba diving and the whole and you're like, I'm in, I believe. And then the second half, they kind of him and haw and look at a couple places. And then by the end, they go, you know, more research is required. And we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's happened now to all of us hundreds of times on this topic. Even if we don't know anything about it, we've sat through it or we've seen the movies where, you know, all that stuff. So now if someone comes along who's claiming it's real. It sounds exactly like all the other stuff because they, they, they all use the same words. So it's very hard yeah, to get through the noise. Um and uh, I, I did it with the so the book is basically a proof. So if anyone reads the book, it, it's very definitive and very scientific and how it, how it goes through the data, presents it and proves it. And that's why I'm starting the, the new the new YouTube channel, too, because I'm putting these in videos because people seem to consume five to 10 minute videos um, a lot more readily than they read books anymore, if that makes sense, especially for stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if it's just just because of marketing and because what Atlantis has become, which is like this underwater paradise or, or whatever. How did Atl- you, we're talking about it being in, in Africa, you know, to the, to the American world, how did it move to the Bahamas? You know, the, the battle for Atlantis is a basketball tournament. There's a big hotel there well, called Atlantis. So how did that all happen? That's just brilliant marketing on their part, right? Yeah. See, see, that's the thing. Atlantis can be anything and it's a known word. So if it can be anything, then people can use it and, and they don't respect it. Yeah. So if you don't respect it, it can be anything, but it's got name recognition. It's got a brand. Why wouldn't you do whatever you want with it? Yeah. Um, which is exactly what happened there. And, and and then in the Bahamas, you've got the Bimini Road, which a lot of people like. And I'd say in the 60s and 70s, it, it was viewed as the find of the century. That has fizzled. It's now probably just, you know, sandstone rocks or something. No, no one knows. But um, for a long time, that that was... The, the center of of the current Atlantis, you know, hoopla. And that's when whoever the marketers were plopped the hotel down in the 90s, um, which is brilliant. And and look, the people still go there. I mean, it's it, it's it's a success. So so good for them. I mean, they 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 didn't respect Atlantis and used its uh, name, but they've had a lot of success with it. So it's fine. 
that sounds your your face and your smirk makes it seem a little salty that they they didn't respect it but uh, we can we can move from that <laughs> yeah well that's just me my, my, my frustration is the work that i've done to figure mm -hmm. all this out and i figured out so much more than i've been able to get out yet mm -hmm. it wasn't hard work i i'm not particularly i'm not overly insightful i'm, I'm a smart guy i've got I've got the military experience, so I was trained in what they call battlefield counterintelligence. So I've, I've been I've been trained to look at things and and be able to put pieces together. Um, but I'm not. But there's been thousands and thousands of people that that have had that same job, and it's it's not a, a unique skill set just to that job. But it wasn't that hard to figure this out. So now I do get frustrated. So I'll, I'll go into a conversation, and someone will say, you know, what well, Landis? It was it's all bullshit because it's an oral tradition, and I just I cringe because the the lightest the lightest amount of effort and reading of the actual source material, the primary material, you don't have to read, you know, 50 lines in. And, and you see that's actually not the case. The, the chain of custody is provided. This all came from uh, the, the hieroglyphics on a wall in a, a town in, called Saïs, which is in the Nile Delta. Um, and it was a temple of Neith, which was the uh, Egyptian creator goddess. She's the mother of Ra. She created, she's the mother of the entire Egyptian pantheon. Uh, her worship dates back to 6,000 BCE, but it's all there. He, we know all this stuff. So when, so a lot of the arguments I have to, I have to walk into is they're not even real arguments. I, I have to wade through opinions and things people have heard and this natural bias to, to not believing that the topic is real. So mm -hmm. it, it's yeah, it's very difficult. It's very difficult, and it can be. It can be. I'm. I've now been doing it for about a year. I'm noticing it more. I'm, I don't want to use the word frustrated yet because that's not at all. I love talking about this, mm -hmm. but now I've now had to walk into undoing you know, baloney conversations, and, and now every time I do it, I'm, I'm just I have I have to, I now have to find the energy in me to do it where before I was just jumping right in. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, yeah. 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 Well, hopefully I don't have to, you don't have to build up that energy right now. Cause I want to kind of play devil's advocate or, or kind no, of please do. I cha love, I love challenge it. you a bit. Cause do it. what I, what I wonder is, um, you know, people listening, they're going to, to think, okay, he just told us that this is super easy. It didn't take him long to figure it out. And then you also told us that there's all these documentaries that have said, you know, it's inconclusive. People have dumped so much money into this and trying to figure it out. If it was that easy, why did it take till 2022 and David Edward to come around to figure it all out? Yeah, because if if you solve it, you can't build a franchise off of it. You can't write 10 books and have three series and get the next Discovery Channel travel vacation where they're going to, you know, pay you a quarter million dollars to go scuba diving in the Greek mm -hmm. islands. All that's gone if you solve it. I'm lucky. I'm a, I'm a recluse. I don't want to leave my room. So mm -hmm. I don't want to I'm not trying to get money from anybody. Um I think it's important that it gets solved. I mean, to me, I'm a true believer. So I think if 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 all the engines and all the research and all the the people that look at history and write the books and do all the things, if they accepted this timeline, which I think is easy to confirm, then what? Then what can we discover? Now, when we look at stuff, we can look at it for real. We don't have to pretend or ignore, you know, the inconsistencies and the oddities and stuff. We can we can we have a narrative and we have a framework to understand them for real, um, which I think would be great. But that's that's the precipice we stand upon right now. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's I guess that's that's a, a big that would be a big uh, conspiracy theory to dive into that. All of these people are just wanting to keep it unsolved, to keep it going. I, but I understand. I understand that. What do you think that all these people have that have been 
kind of researching it in the past, which it may just be that they didn't want to solve it based on what you're saying. But what do you think that the main thing that they have gotten wrong in figuring it out that you've gotten right? Um, I went into this and what I said is we cannot, there is no answer where we can dismiss any relevant piece of the two platonic dialogues that discuss this. So I, I didn't cherry pick from the dialogues. Um, and I think that happens a lot. The other thing is I decided that I didn't care what anyone had said because we're dealing with a very unique situation here. We have what they call a primary source. And that's, that's this guy, Plato, the, the, the Greek philosopher. Um, anything else, although you, you, there, is, there is anecdotal um, supporting sources, but they only work to support Plato. They don't work on their own. Mm. Anything that's not him or one of those supporting documents is, is, is baloney. It, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's written by somebody else who's no smarter or dumber than me or anyone else looking at it. So I pushed all that aside. And when you do all that, because there's so much noise, um, and I decided I wasn't going to worry about the social political aspect of it. Um, cause people ask me, what were the Atlanteans like? I don't know. I don't, I, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not my gig. My, my gig is where were they real? When were they? And where were they? And because that is the information that Plato gives us, he, he spends a lot of time doing it. Um, so he, I think he thought it was important. Um, so, so what do they get wrong? I, I think they, they do it as a commercial enterprise more. Look, here, here's the, here's the best example. Have you ever heard of Graham Hancock? You know who he is? No, no, he's, he invented this alternate history space. Look, you know, arguably he just had a new, uh, documentary series coming on Netflix. Like, two days ago or something. So he's, he's having a resurgence in this space. Um, and, he, and he got me into this space uh, on some level. In 1995, he wrote this book called Fingerprints of the Gods, where he lays out his case for um, that we're a civilization with amnesia and a lot more was going on in the past um, than we know. But even he has become commercialized. He, he was my hero. Now he frustrates me. His first major book was called The Sign and the Seal, came out before he got famous, before this Fingerprints of the Gods. And it's like, huge book, like that thick, teeny tiny type. But what he did is he did exactly what I did with Atlantis. He said, I'm going to find the lost Ark of the Covenant. I think it's findable. I think I can deduce it. And then he basically wrote the book as a travelogue showing all of his research. And at the end of the book, he says, here it is. It's in the primary of Zion in uh, Ethiopia. And he, he has, the book ends with a picture of him outside the gate, basically. And I'm like, yeah. That, that's it. That that's what I want to do. So that's what I've done with Atlantis. Now his other books, and he's written like twenty or thirty books, and they've sold. He sold probably millions and millions of them. That he's now he now has a book series, so it's a narrative. So he's not solving things. He's bringing attention to all of the mysteries and inconsistencies. So he's kind of become commercialized, which I think is where this takes you. Um, but I'd rather solve it than continually talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean you're you're very confident in in what your book shows and, and solving it. So with that said, do you think, you know, that this resolution is going to become mainstream? Because I, I, I mean, when I, when I research about it, I mean, national geographic says, you know, that it was created by Plato as a folk tale. There's a lot of, there's a lot of the, the big guns are, are not necessarily on this side. So do you think eventually people are going to, come around and understand it more or is it just going to be a battle that you're going to be you know expelling breath on forever i think it's an interesting question and i actually i ask myself that question a lot and i think the answer has to be 
has to come hand in hand with another question, which is, is, is Atlantis so broken that even, you know, even if we found the big sign that says Atlantis was here, right, with Poseidon doing this, w- would that be accepted? And, and I don't know. I, I don't know. What I've decided to do is to spend the next year on these YouTube documentary videos presenting the entire case and doing all the work for these academics, right? Doing all the, if National Geographic has their view of it, I'm going to do the work for them. I'll put it all out there and then they can look at it. And I think at some point, I even say this in the video I just did last night, at some point, if the, if it, the, the data is out there and everyone can understand it and everyone can see it, I think it becomes easier to accept it than to all of a sudden now be, what I want to do is I want to have the people that are naysayers, have them become the fringe the, the fringe researchers, right? Right now, I'm the fringe researcher. I'm saying, I know where Atlantis is. And it was like, whatever. Might be interesting, but but no. And National Geographic says it was made up. Okay. Well, I want it to be so that National Geographic has a harder time defending that it was made up than I do that I found it. And I'm going to try that for the next year. Now, a year's not that long. Uh, but I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's it's a brilliant question. It shows a lot of insight on your part. And I think, I think we'll see. That's the battle, right? We're fighting the battle right now. And uh, we'll just have to see how the war goes. You will. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're you're really placing a lot into this book. So I wonder, too, you just talked about how people like to make things easy and digestible. How does your book read? Somebody that's picking it up, they listen to this and they're like, I don't exactly know what's going on, but I want to hear more about it. Does it read in a, a really digestible way or do you need a history degree to figure it all out? Um, A little bit of neither. Okay. <laughs> so the, the, the book is a proof. I, I didn't try and write a documentary or I didn't write it necessarily to entertain. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's a proof, but it's, it's very accessible. So I, and it lays everything out in detail at, at a, at a decent pace. So it starts with, and it just follows the scientific method. It says, do we have a question? Yes, we have a question. Is it, was Atlantis real? Um, you know, well, what is the current view of that? What data can we collect? When we analyze that data, what happens? And then we have a conclusion. And the book just walks you through that. And then at the end, I did an updated chapter where I, there were like five criticisms that came of the theory. So I addressed each of the five criticisms at the end. And I haven't received any new criticisms. Uh, well, I have. I haven't received additional criticisms. I continue to receive the same ones that I address in, in the back of the book. Um, but so it's very accessible. It's a very easy read. Um, the feedback I've gotten, every single person that's read it, even those that hate it and have gotten mad at me, agree that the book does make its case. And it does prove within the context of the data we have that this location matches Plato to like 99.3%. We can say just because it matches, it's not Atlantis, but it, but the book does prove it matches. And, and I've had, and go, you can read the reviews. Um, it, I've gotten everything from it's a scam, it's bullshit, but he's right, to, yeah, this is like Atlantis for dummies. I loved it. I read it three times, you know, and all that. But but it, all criticism, all all critiques end with, yeah, I read it, and yeah, he, he, that's it. <laughs> well, that's, that's, a, that's a high criticism then. Um, I think that's that's a that's a good thing to to have if people are even the people that don't like it, it kind of understand it. So I wonder too, you know, because every how how is this going to be figured out, or how are people going to understand it? Where is it something that we're just going to, I guess, have to understand academically, or is there something tangible that's ever going to happen? Because you know, it's so long ago. I don't. I mean, that's that's pretty pretty deep down there is there anything that can actually ever be tangibly found or is that not something that's going to happen 
No, and and, and the, we found we we have found stuff. I mean, we found Stone Age tools. They're not they're not atypical. Is part of the part of the challenge, right? Um, we've also found I heard, I, uh, uh, a guy I work with, David Stig Hansen. Um, he was just there in in Mauritania last week. He just came back last week. He was there for the whole month of October, um, and we have found uh, agricultural deposits that look like they date to this time period that would be would not be expected to be found, and they seem to be under the sand. Uh, so we think that's interesting. We've done the uh, topographic analysis, um, and we know we have two locations where we think it'd be interesting to dig. But here, here's the the real challenge, Jackson. If I'm right, then Atlantis is boring. This mm. this is the whole problem. Then you know what? If if I'm right, then it becomes almost a footnote in history, along with Gobegle Tepe and some of the other things that we found, and it just more firmly establishes that 9600 wall as a time where something happened so it's you know it's it's just it's 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 a it's almost a contradiction if if uh it only remains interesting as long as it's not true mm. well that's uh and that is a tough uh a tough wall to climb then because a lot of people just rather be entertained than be i mean that's that's a that's a very well, it's a way deeper topic but i think in the world a lot of people just rather be entertained than really understand i think that's that's the problem we face so i've, I've had people tell me they, they say look i don't have very much i have this why why are you trying to take it away from me and i'm like i'm not i'm just trying whoa i'm just trying to figure out what happened you know i'm, I'm sorry i don't know but you know yeah i mean i i always that I, i've had people that um uh, very very uh well-known people in this space uh contact me very angrily because they don't want answers here they, they want the mystery to keep going just like the tv show ancient aliens is like in its 24th season or something if aliens ever came down, their sh they, the show would be ruined, you know. So they don't want to find them; they just want to talk about them. So mm. it's just interesting. I think that's funny what you said. I don't have very much. Uh, why are you trying to take this away from me? Are there <laughs> people that just chill with a Atlantis pillow, or what? Do you, I don't know. What do you mean? Are people clinging on to it so bad? I don't. I guess I don't know. Look, I, I, that. I was funny. on I was on Coast to Coast AM like a month and a half ago with this, which is a big, 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 and they took live callers. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the people that called in said that they had done a uh, life regression or I don't know and, and that they they were the assistant sci scientist in Atlantis when the whole thing fell apart and they were working on the death ray power crystal and they remember yelling to the lead scientist that it was becoming unstable and there was a problem but but they didn't ignore him and then the whole thing blew up and that's what that's, that's what destroyed Atlantis so my answer is okay all I'm gonna do is tell you where you were when you had you know when you were living there. I don't I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> but you know, but but you know, that kind of stuff. And I want to be respectful because we're dealing with real passion and real beliefs, you know, yeah. whether I believe it or not doesn't have anything to do with it. Um, so yeah, you just have to and I had I wasn't I wasn't ready, I wasn't prepared for any of that. I didn't when I jumped into this, it was purely a analytical exercise uh, out of curiosity. And I also very I was so naive. I can't even describe how naive I was. I just assumed when I actually wrote it all down, so it was kind of airtight, that that would be the end of it, not the be not the beginning of it. Um, but what what I find is a lot of the criticisms that I get are addressed in the book, but people don't read they don't read the book. It's, you know, we deal in this world of hearsay, um, and yeah. Anyway, so whatever your question was, that, that was my answer. Yeah, and I I mean it, it's interesting where this has kind of went because I. I didn't realize that most of the issue is just going to be getting people to to understand what you're what you're saying and people kind of pushing back, which which makes sense. And I, I think that the the huge thing and why people and we kind of talked about it earlier, I feel like 
the reason why it's taken so unseriously is exactly what you just mentioned that people have this mindset that it's this utopian super advanced society of death ray power crystal that all starts screaming okay everything about atlantis is just cuckoo stuff yeah yeah no that that <laughs> yeah so i i mean I, I want people to check out the book there's not a ton more that really can be said on the outside of it until people check out the book so how can people find it uh the publisher website is frequency99.com uh, the two nines are numbers um obviously i just mentioned i've now plugged my new channel that i just launched last night three times at a history of I'm putting out videos where I'm starting to meticulously work through this. And then, of course, the book is on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all of the uh, typical uh, retailers. Yeah. Is is Frequency 99 where everyone can find your 7,000 other books? It's, it's, where they, it's where they can find my 7,000 other books and um, and and all that stuff. Yes, it's uh, I'm pretty well insulated. So you, you can't quite get to me, but you can get to my publicist from, through the website. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, free, I would start at Frequency99.com. That's, that's the bee's knees. I got you. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I really appreciate it. Jackson, look, I, I, I appreciate the questions too and your insight. You asked some very intelligent questions that showed you're, you're not just engaged, but thoughtful and you understand some of this stuff. Well, good. Thank you. So that was David Edward. What a fascinating guy. Really appreciate his compliments at the end. I wanted to do this, you know, this story justice for sure. I don't know a ton about Atlantis. That's, I think that's evident in our conversation. But from from what I do know, I, I I think what he's saying makes makes some sense. And I I also look at it from from both perspectives. And I know that given that I've never wrapped myself up with with very much of of any of it, the quote unquote factual side or the conspiracy theory side, maybe that's why I can just look at this from you know a, a fresh lens and think, hey, what he's saying makes sense. I don't know the other side. I don't know what. Uh, what people say that maybe discredits what he's saying, if that's even possible. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I if, if you're listening to this and you're, uh, I guess, big into Atlantis, you can you can let me know what, what you think here. But uh, I really appreciated David's time. I, uh, I'm eager to check out more of that book and, uh, and just learn more. I, I think whether I agree or whether you agree on what he's saying, it never hurts just to, to learn more perspective and definitely one that uh, that he feels is so definitive on, on a, a topic that really has eluded us for, for hundreds of years. You know, it, it's something that people have been searching for for a long time and and uh, and not been successful with it. So maybe he, he was. So, yeah, I, uh, I put the link to, to his books because um, remember, there's a lot of different ones. So maybe you're listening to this and like, eh, the Atlanta stuff, interesting, but I don't want to read a whole book about it. But I am interested in, in those other science fiction books or those Western books. I'll put a sh- link to the show notes, um, a link in the show notes to uh, to him and to all those books and whatever way to, to connect with him in that frequency, 9-9. Um, if this is your first time listening, thanks so much for being here. Check out some other podcast. Um, episodes because we've had a lot of amazing amazing people on go give us a five-star review on on apple and on spotify leave a written review on apple even more amazing uh follow us on instagram not enough podcast jacksonf.com jacksonf um excuse me not enough (laughs) podcast 
on uh, on Facebook, but we're everywhere. Appreciate you being here. We'll catch you next week. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.